Hello and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today, I'm speaking with author Holly Black, who is no stranger to the paranormal and supernatural in her writing, and has just written her first book about vampires, the young adult novel The Coldest Girl in Cold Town. It will be published in September by Little Brown, which is sponsoring this podcast. The Coldest Girl in Cold Town takes place in a world in which vampires are no longer living in the shadows, even if they still have to avoid daylight. After centuries of secrecy, there's been an explosion in their numbers and in their all-around visibility. Governments around the world have different ways of dealing with vampires and the infected humans who are on their way to becoming them. In the U.S., quarantined cold towns have been built where vampires and infected humans live, and where some vampires have even gained celebrity status, especially among those humans hungry to be turned to vampires themselves. Uh, Holly, thank you for speaking with me. Thanks for having me. The vampire legend has taken so many forms in print and on screen, from Bram Stoker and Nosferatu to interview with a vampire in Twilight. What's your sense of why we're so perpetually fascinated by these creatures? You know, I, I've been on a lot of panels in my life where, you know, we're talking about a supernatural creature. And no matter what we start out talking about, once someone brings up vampires, the entire conversation seems to gravitate towards vampires. And it's impossible to wrench towards, say, werewolves or fairies. And I, so I have seen what you're talking about. It really is fascinating that, you know, they're really deep in our psyche. And I think, you know, we, we have this um, this thing with them where... You know, vampire literature started out as a as a really is a literature of you know they're kind of um, zombie like in folklore. They are you know frightening. They are the monster that you fight, and slowly over time, we have sort of taken them in and embraced them and and identified more heavily with them and made them the protagonists of novels. And I think that there's something in our um, the flexibility of them as hero and villain. Mm-hmm. They're um, you know, their nature as, um, as creatures we both are sort of fascinated with, might like to be, and sort of repulsed by, that keeps us coming back. And, you know, because we're able to tell all of those stories with the same creature. In your acknowledgments to this book, uh, you describe it as a, a love letter to all the vampire books you've <laughs> ever read. So I'm curious, what sort of stories have been sort of foundational and important for you? When I was maybe 13, I bought an uh, interview with the vampire for 25 cents <laughs> at a, um, at some kind of tag sale that was happening down the street from my house. And it looked a little frightening. I had this really old cover that had a, uh, it had a photograph <laughs> that was supposed to be representing Lestat and Lewis and Claudia. And they were, um, and they, they look ridiculous in it, which I guess made me think maybe it would be less frightening and maybe I could handle it. Um, but I read that Every night, I think, for all of being in eighth grade. I was just really drawn into it, really fascinated. I also read this Les Daniels series about mm-hmm. Don Sebastian de Villavoa. I'm sure I'm terribly mispronouncing his name. It's like the Black Castle, Silver Skull, Citizen Vampire. And basically the convention of this is that I believe he's some kind of wizard who is also a vampire. But he shows up in different time periods. 
you know, in each the end of each time period, he is banished back to a silver skull, and then he comes out again to romance a hot lady in different in different through different times. So, like in one, he is in the Az, he is in the he's, he's among Aztecs, and a hot lady is going to be sacrificed to him. In another, he is in the French Revolution, and a hot lady is going to be guillotined unless he does something. And so, I was really um, I enjoyed those very much. And um, he's the Highlander of vampires. He's the Highlander of vampires. And then uh, I really love Tanith Lee. I think she's just an amazing writer, and I was so um, like, so influenced by her writing style. And she wrote this uh, vampire in the future, Sabella or the Bloodstone. I believe they may be on Mars. So uh, I was; those were probably the three big vampire series that uh, you know were hugely influential on me. But also, certainly, Susan McKee Charnas's Vampire Tapestry and the Nancy Collins's Sun- Sunglasses After Dark. Bobby Z. Bright's Lost Souls. I don't know. I was a big vampire reader. <laughs> and as far as your own vampires, uh, The Coldest Girl in Cold Town, that started out originally as a short story of the same name. Uh, if I, yeah. Right. How, um, where did that story, I guess, first come from or what led to it? Um, I had been asked to write a short story about vampires. And despite all my reading of vampires, I had not done any writing about vampires because I thought, you know, it's such, it's a genre in which there are so many great books. There are so many beloved books. There are so many books I loved. I thought, what in the world can I have to say about vampires? And, but when I sat down, I really, I found that I had a lot to say. (laughs) I mean, I really loved the story. I really loved the world. Um, You know, I, I was really interested in the idea of how we might um, interact with vampires um, if we were, you know, if we were sort of able to televise them, if we were able to keep them at a remove, and also if we were sort of able to interact with them if we were willing to go beyond the walls of this city, so that there was this there was this illusion of safety. But and then also this romance of sort of this reality TV blogging video like romance with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, at what point did you decide you know you wanted to sort of transform this and build it into a full novel? I thought about it for a while, and I decided I would sit down and give it a try. I just really loved the world, and I wanted to be able to go back to it. Okay. And that, that original short story had an entirely different protagonist, right? Yeah. I, when I actually sat down to write the novel, I thought, you know, I, I want to like, bring back Matilda and, I, you know, we'll see what happens with her and we'll have these other people too. And I wrote about three chapters of it before I realized that the most interesting thing that happened to Matilda was already in the short story. Hmm. And I had to get rid of those chapters and start over. And did, did you feel like the process of expanding it gave you sort of a freedom to really explore this world and how it works uh, much more in depth? Yeah, I definitely got to. And, and you know, uh, I got to and was also forced to. So, you know, things that I could hand wave through in the short story, I had to really think about, you know, how would this really work? What's really happening here? You know, in these two sentences that I, that I managed, you know, where I managed to allude to something, what did I mean? Um, so that stuff was sort of fun and, 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 you know, sort of annoying because the great thing about a short story is that, you know, you don't have to necessarily think all those things through, but in a novel, you really do. I think you sort of alluded to this, but in, in your novel, there's a, there's a real complexity to the way that sort of vampirism kind of even works, uh, both in 
in terms of the process by which humans are turned and also the ways that you sort of stick to and also depart from some of the existing kind of uh, vampire tropes that are out there. Uh, you know, your vampires still need to avoid the light and a stake of the heart to the heart kind of still gets the job done, but gar- garlic and holy water are not necessarily reliable. Um, uh-huh. You know, how did you decide, you know, what you were going to use and what to ignore? It was, it was tough. Um, in part, it was part of sort of like, you know, I think when you are, when you love a genre a lot, you, um, you sort of have your own thing that you like best or the thing that you, you know, kind of think yourself, like if this were true, then I'm sure that this would happen. And so some of it was just, you know, my preference. Um, some of it was to try and keep it feeling at least partially scientific, but a lot of it was, you know, what's going to complicate this too much? What is going to be, what is going to be most interesting? Um, one of the things that I needed to do is I needed it to, um, to be, I needed the process of turning vampires to be somewhat plague friendly mm-hmm. because this is sort of an outbreak, you know, a, a world in which there has been a giant outbreak. It's a plague world. Um, and so it needed to be pretty easy to become a vampire. Um, but it needed to be hard enough that the world wasn't already overrun with vampires. Mm-hmm. And I really liked the idea of this sort of waiting period, which, I mean, you could sort of see in Dracula, you know, after, after Mina has been bitten and, you know, she, she is in, you know, and she is, she has had Dracula's blood. She's, she is in this liminal state of, she's not a vampire, but she's not exactly quite her normal human self anymore. And so I was really interested in the idea of that liminal state of being infected and and what the, what I could do with that, and that's you know the world of Coltown. When you're bitten, you're infected for 88 days, and you you know you crave human blood, and if you have it, you turn. I was also, and this is sort of in keeping with that. I was I was curious about the idea of uh, cool versus cold in the book. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in the in the book, a human turns cold after being bitten by, by a vampire when they're effect, infected, and they have the potential to turn into one right. or or not. Um, and then early on in the book, uh, Tana reflects on how she was really trying to be detached and cool when she used to date <laughs> her ex-boyfriend, Aiden. And then, you know, the vampires in the novel, of course, have this inherent cool factor. Um, so was the interplay between those words and what they represent something that was on your mind? It's interesting when you pick something like cold to use as a word to describe anything, you know, in the, you know, in this case, vampirism and also, uh, also being infected, you know, they're in cold town there, you know, you go cold, like then every word to do with cold and every moment when people are legitimately cold mm-hmm. has, it becomes weighted. And so you have to sort of relook at a lot of different things to make sure that you want the sort of effect you're getting. And it was, it was very, it was really interesting to write this because before I have written a lot of fairy books. <laughs> like a lot of fairy books, uh, the Spiderwick books and the Modern Fairy Tale series, and the different the weight of different words in those books. It, it's like it, it's really interesting what you can, what words I got back that I could use whenever I wanted, and what words I had to be more careful of. You know, um, and certainly you know when you think like cool, and you have to you have to think a lot about blood. You have to think an enormous amount about you know wh- red. You know, the mm-hmm. color red. Am I overusing the color red? What does the color red mean in this context? Like, all of this, it, I think that was probably one of the most interesting things about writing a vampire book, is mm-hmm. what words all of a sudden became fraught with meaning. 
Well, let's talk a bit about the uh, the celebrity culture that uh, has been built up around the vampires in your book. It's it's almost like the idea that sex cells has been replaced by like death cells. Uh, do you think that the humans, especially those who you know are sort of wish they could be vampires themselves, are they fetishizing death, or are they are they fetishizing the idea of eternal life and this sort of eternal celebrity, or is it some of both? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I'm I'm sort of fascinated with reality television, and um, one of the things that you know I am sort of interested in is the way that we both, um, you know, the watchers of it sort of laugh at the people on screen and also sort of, you know, think, wow, wouldn't it be kind of fun to be them? And, you know, I think that, that one of the things that makes sort of for, for the people who are watching, you know, the feeds from inside Cold Town, who are watching the big lush vampire parties, who are watching kids talking about, you know, having just gone over and, and sort of learning their way through Cold Town. Um, you know, the, the thing that I think is compelling about watching it is that you both get to say, oh, my God, look at those suckers. And you also get to say, wow, I wish I could be those suckers, you know? <laughs> And and I think that that tension and you know oh wow like they could ha- they could have eternal life oh wow they do have eternal life oh but wait it's really dangerous you know uh, or they are looking for eternal life but you know they're totally going to get it like I think that that was is what for for your viewer outside of Cold Town makes it really compelling television. So I understand this is a uh, a standalone novel. Yes. Um, was that a bit refreshing after doing series <laughs> like Curse Workers and you know Modern Fairy and Spiderwick? It was really fun. I, I have a, a friend who's a who is, was reading who was reading this over, and he was like, I just I just don't know if this Cold Town thing. I don't know if it's a sustainable model for this world. I don't know if you know. I I worry that the vampires will eat all the humans. I just I, and I was like. Don't care. Stand alone. <laughs> but if I come back, if I ever come back, I suppose I have to care. But but it was so great. It was so great. I was like, that's you know, that's fine. You know, maybe the vampires take over after this book. But you know, they're fine for this book. And you know, of course, you had a middle grade novel come out uh, earlier this year. So, uh, what else are you? Um, what are you? What are you working on at the moment? I know this book is still a ways from actually seeing its way out into the world. But I'm actually I'm I'm writing another fairy book. Um, I wanted to come back after um, you know a bunch of years and see what kind of fairy book I would be interested in writing. It's a teen book. Um, it's called The Darkest Part of the Forest. And it's fun to be back working with those tropes and and working with that language. Um, it's also been really interesting to see like what how I can push it sort of away from the modern fairy tales and 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 what ways it's going to be like them. Okay, I'm in the middle of it right now. It makes no sense right now, but but I'm sure it's gonna it's gonna be fine. It's gonna be good. And, um, you know, I know you were at uh, BEA a few months ago, a big industry uh, show, and I'm uh, sure copies and advanced things have been getting out. Have you been starting to already hear a lot from you know young fans and people like that as far as this book goes? Yeah, I'm just starting to hear from people. It's been really fun. Um, you know, I'm re- really excited to talk about the book. I'm really excited for readers to read the book. Um, and it, so, yeah, it's been really exciting when people read it. And it's been really exciting when people like it and, and let me know because, uh, you know, it, it, it was a really, really fun book to write. And it really um, got its stuff that I really love. And so I hope people love it, too. And will you be um, being able to see some fans and head out uh, later this fall when the book comes out? Yes, absolutely. I will be on the road talking to people about the Goldest Girl in Cold Town in September. I will be. I'm not sure exactly where I'll be yet, but, um, but I will be out there. Excellent. Well, uh, you know, good luck with the new book, and uh, thanks again for speaking with me. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
Uh, well, once again, I've been speaking with Holly Black, whose new YA novel, The Coldest Girl in Cold Town, will be published by Little Brown in September. Thank you for listening to PW KidsCast. Cast.